0: Could you open up to Genesis chapter 30? We are still in our Genesis series. This is a crazy... You know, the more you preach on Genesis, you realize this is one of the craziest books in the Bible. And today's story does is just as crazy. It'll be a fun... Phil, how are you? Good to see you. It's good to see you. He was in my youth group a long, long time ago. Now he looks... Older than me. Anyhow, let's keep going. Sorry, (laughs) Phil. Sorry. When I was when I was around ten years old, I had a school friend who was a nice kid, he really was, but he was a follower. He would be considered a kid that was a follower. When he was with me and my friends, he was funny, kind, he's a lot of fun to be around, but he'd often hang out with what I'd call the mean kids of the neighborhood. And when he hung out with the mean kids, he would morph into this sarcastic mocker who, like the mock kids, would swear all the time. I remember one time he was with the mean kids, and they convinced him to smoke a cigarette. Yes, to smoke a cigarette. Well, the problem was his mom caught him. She found him smoking, and she grabbed him by the collar, and she dragged him all the way home, He told me that that same day, she was so mad, she went out to the local gas station, bought a whole pack of cigarettes, went in the backyard, and made him smoke every one in a whole sitting. He told me he became sicker than a dog, and he never wanted to touch another cigarette again. And he never did, and he didn't hang out with those mean kids anymore. Because he got chastised rather harshly. His mom used the classic tactic of burning out a bad habit. Instead of denying the person what you don't want them to have, you saturate them with that thing, hoping it will make them so sick and nauseated they will never want to do it again. Scripture calls this reaping what you sow. I believe it's one of God's favorite tactics when he tries to bring us back to himself. It is often my answer to this classic question, can a person who claims to be a Christian run away from God and continue sinning, thinking they are going and getting away with their sin? So if you're a person who's a Christian and yet you run and you think you're getting away with your sin, the New Testament would give three warnings. Three warnings if you can think you can run from God. Number one, it's what we're going to talk about today, you will reap what you sow. It says it right there in Galatians 6. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. He's not fooled. He sees what you're doing. And then the next step, Romans 1.24 says, you know what God does is he gives a person over. Judgment for sin is not always what we think it is. We think judgment for sin is immediate punishment. Boom. Actually, it's quite the reverse. God will allow a continuance in that sin because the true punishment is slavery to that sin. So that's why it says, therefore, God gave them over. And then if you continue not to respond to the consequences of the reaping for the sowing, he will then completely give you over to a new master. Satan and his minions. 1 Corinthians 5, five says, because there's a person in the church that was doing such wicked things, Paul said, hand this man over to Satan so that the sinful nature may be destroyed. The point is, if you don't want to obey God as your master, he'll give you another one. And then you will realize just how good God actually is. That's the story for today. Believe it or not, our story is about Jacob who is going to reap what he sows. And then God ultimately uses a man named Laban he, who becomes the reaper of his sowing because it's time for Jacob to pay the piper. Let's read it. Genesis chapter 30 starting in verse 25. I'm not going to read the whole story because it gets kind of complicated. So I'm going to bring the highlights out and talk about some of the more intricate details along the way. So we have Genesis 30. Last time we learned about all of these children he had through Leah and Rebekah, if you remember, or Rachel. He's going to marry Rachel, but on his wedding night he was fooled and Leah was in his bed. And then they let their maidservants have kids, so he had 12 kids. The nation of Israel came from Jacob. Now we're in verse 25. After Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me on my way so I can go back to my own homeland. Give me my wives and my children for whom I've served you. And then I'll be on my way. You know how much work I've done for you. He did. He did a lot of work. Remember seven years for the first wife? He was fooled, so he worked another seven years for the second wife. And then he worked a few more years. You'll see all in all about 20 years he worked for Laban. That's a long time. I mean, we read one chapter like we think it's five minutes. Twenty years with this creepy Laban. Anyhow, let's keep reading. Laban said to him, if I've found favor in your eyes, please stay. Please stay. I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. He added, name your wages and I'll pay them manipulating Jacob some more. And Jacob gives in. Jacob said, you know how I've worked for you and how your livestock have fared under my care. The little you had before I came increased greatly and the Lord has blessed you wherever I've been. But now, when may I do something for my own household? When may I be able to do my own thing is what he's saying. Now let's go to verse chapter 31. 7a, he tells his wives that he's, he's tired of it. He's ready to go. So this is chapter 31, verse 7, the first part. Your father has cheated me by changing my wages ten times. Ten times! So he's ready to go. He said, God, however, has not let, allowed him to harm him, harm me. And in chapter, uh, verse 14, his wives agree. Then Rachel and Leo replied, you know, we don't have any share in the inheritance of our father's estate. Does he not regard us as foreigners? It means he treats us bad." Not only has he sold us, but he's used up what we pay, what was paid for us, the dowry, he used up for himself. Surely all the wealth that God took away from our father belongs to us and our children. So Jacob, do whatever God has told you. So his, his two daughters, who are Jacob's wives, are ready to go. So everybody's ready to leave Dodge, leave Laban's town. Because he's tired of it. And so if we, if we follow... We're going to follow what I'm going to call, I'll get to this in a second, but we're going to follow this sowing and reaping. You'll see it in a second. We just read the beginning of Genesis 30, 25. Jacob is definitely ready. He's had enough. He's sick and tired of being at Laban. He ran away from home and he wants to go back home. Because of the reaping effects. He's been reaping what what he's sown. I believe reaping that Jacob is experiencing is something that happens to all of us. Because we all are sinners, and because we're sinners, we are prone to leave the God we love. In fact, I believe some people in here right now are trying to run and hide from God. Maybe you're involved in some secret sin, and you will not give it up because you like it. And not only do you like it, but you believe you're getting away with it. You're, to a degree, you could say it like this, metaphorically, you're running from God. And if that's true, you will reap what you sow, because the law of reaping has three unbending rules. You can't change them. They're just true. Actually, if you go to Psalm 107, Psalm 107 is the psalm of reaping and sowing. You can actually in your Bible title, title it that under Psalm 107. But what it does is it details all these different accounts of how people try to run from God, but how he catches them. And he uses these three rules. They're detailed in Psalm 107, but it begins in 1-3, through three, Give thanks to the Lord for he's good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say this, Those he redeemed, that means bought back, brought back from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, and he's gathering them because they are ran from him, from east and west, from north and south. And so he uses the law of reaping and sowing because he loves his people. He lets them go so he can get them back. Look at verse 6 of Psalm 107. They they were hungry and thirsty in verse 5. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them. Verse 13, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them. Verse 19, same thing. They were fools, and then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them. And verse 28 is the same thing. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. So what is happening in Psalm 107 is people are trying to get away from God. Some have wandered In verse 10, some become criminals and rebels. Verse 17, some made foolish choices because they won't listen to anybody. Verse 23, some tried to sail away to get away from their circumstances on the high seas. And in verse 40, some are just plain proud. So God allows them to run because he knows ultimately that's the best way to bring them back. So here's what rule number one is. Rule number one of sowing and reaping is love allows for you to wander. He lets you go. Love lets you go. We believe love holds tight. I'm going to suffocate my kid so he can never go. If you love him, let him go. Because out in the going becomes, is the reaping. And the reaping is where the person comes to realize they need to come home. But rule number one says love allows for wandering. In Psalm 104, the word wandering is used in verse four, Psalm 107, verse 4. In the Hebrew word for wandering means to go astray. Going astray is purposeful sinning. Running from God, trying to make a go on your own. And actually running from him is not his it's not what he wants for us, but he lets us choose that because he's kind. And guess what? You cannot hold God accountable for your wandering. So you could say it like this, sowing is my choice. Sowing is my choice. I'm choosing the wandering. If we go to Jacob's story back in 30, chapter 30 of Genesis, we learned two weeks ago he fled the promised land. He fled the promised land because he broke trust with his brother and his dad. He lied and he's scared to death. So he ran. He ran to save his behind. That's why he ran. He's terrified. And to get away, he traveled 400 miles, and God led him to the land of Laban. In fact, we always have two choices. The two choices are follow God and his promises, which are basically the metaphor of the promised land. You can stay with God, or you can run away and go to the land of Laban. The land of Laban is where he went. He listened to his mom's voice. He listened to the voice of fear that was in his heart. So he ran away. And I'll tell you, when you first go to the land of Laban, I wish that was a little clearer. I have a really nice picture there. But I wish our you know, video screens were a little better. But I won't make any plea to get higher tech stuff. But it would really be nice if you could see my nice graphics. I spent time on it so you could see how scary it is in the land of Laban. The land of Laban is that place where we first run. When Jacob first ran, he thought it was a really nice place to go. He could avoid the problems in his life. It seemed welcoming. There was beautiful Rachel, ready to kiss him. It seemed great. But the deeper you go in the land of Laban, the darker it becomes. Abraham knew this. If you remember when Abraham was looking for a wife for Isaac, he told his servant Make sure you don't bring my son back there. We can all try to run from our past mistakes, thinking we can get away with our destructive tendencies. But the land of Laban is where the wide road always takes us. It's there we're allowed to have what we want. In Laban's land, we can finally live the way we want. In freedom, independence, away from our troubles out on our own, and no rules. Even a 10-year-old can smoke cigarettes there. It's great. Laban's land is where I can be my own man or woman. I don't need my parents or anyone to tell me what to do anymore. I can forge my own life and lifestyle. I don't need to be tied down to tradition. I get to do what I want to do, be who I want to be, and sin as I please. Now that's freedom. Ah, the land of Laban. Which leads us to rule number two. And this is the most important part. And I really want you to listen close. Rule number two. God, out of love, has designed the world to work in a cause and effect way. It's called proportionality. Not only does God allow wandering, but number two, love uses proportionate pressure. Here's, I'll explain it to you. And you guys know it. You'll understand it. What you put into something is what comes out of that something. In every area of life, it always works this way. If I choose my return on investment, I choose it. If I eat a lot of cookies and cake and ice cream as my steady diet, my stomach will steadily grow. It's interesting how that works. The more I eat, the fatter I get. It's quite a simple principle. If I run and I lift and I eat vegetables, I will lose weight. The more I lift, the more buff I get. That's where I got this. Trying to wake you guys up, you seem to be sleeping. If I plant corn, corn will grow. The more corn I plant, the cornier I become get that one this is called the natural law of proportionality so you could say it like this it's a natural law reaping what i sow and then what i reap reaping is it's in the fabric of life god has hardwired proportionality into the world and believe it or not it works this way for sin if i sin if i sin i will reap proportional unrighteousness If that sin is in the form of fighting and brawling because I get angry all the time, I will get broken bones. If that sin is in the form of sleeping around, I will get unwanted pregnancies. If that sin is aborting those pregnancies, there will be a cause called sin-shame in a guilt that honestly doesn't leave. That's the problem with this whole debate. We don't tell what it really does to women's psyches. The shame is unbearable. We think it's freedom. No, there's reaping. So if your sin is catching up to you, you are, to a degree, doing it to yourself. Because it's just a natural law. It works like this in Jacob's life. It's crazy. You'll see how he reaps exactly what he sowed. Here's what we've already learned about Jacob. So we can look at it like this. Proportionality in Jacob's life. He deceived his father. Clearly he deceived his father. It was one of the last straws. So he lied to his father. He disrespected the birthright. He stole it from Esau. Then he lied about and he stole it twice. He trusts his mother's solution over his father, and he listens to his mother to go run to my hometown. And then he even lied to his father about being the favorite son, because his father's favorite son was Esau, and he lied about being the favorite son by killing some animals, putting skins on his arms, and they thought he was the favorite son. He, Jacob, chose to do this. Because of his choices, he knew he was in hot water. So he runs and finds himself in the land of Laban, where he surely would be safe. He gets great at first. He sees Rachel by the well, makes a deal with Laban. And after a few short years, everything starts unraveling. So he first deceived his father, but when his life started unraveling, he was deceived by his father-in-law. He is forced to respect the rights of the firstborn that he didn't respect, but when he gets married, he is forced to marry the firstborn in Leah, which he was not ready for. He slaves forever for his mom's family, and he starts realizing the land of Laban and his mom's family are full of a bunch of lying, cheating, conniving, frustrating people. What you're going to see is Laban and his sons are all crazy. They're crazy. They're jealous. And then he has enough in that land, so he decides to run. But as we see, leaving the land of Laban is not as easy as you think. It's hard. And then we're going to see in a couple weeks, there's one more story that we're going to learn about. You know how Jacob lied about being Esau, the favorite son, and they had to kill an animal for it. What's going to happen is Jacob's sons are going to lie to him about his favorite son, and they're going to kill an animal, dip his coat of many colored and is in the blood of a slain animal. It's spiritual law, sowing and reaping straightforward. Here's what it is. The more stubborn and rebellious the heart, the more pressure needs to be applied to cause the person to repent. It's called proportionality. And here's the problem. Often people blame God for the reaping when it was their own choice to ignore natural law during the sowing. Slavery to sin, slavery to sin is self-inflicted. We don't like to say that anymore, but slavery to sin is the natural proportional results of rebellion. So the reaping of proportional natural law is our own fault. It just is. So we should not blame God or anyone else for our, to, for, our for our wandering, for our sinning. We're going to see that in the life of Joseph. He could have blamed Potiphar's wife. You are simply reaping what you sow. Here's what's very interesting. I ask you to do a study. Did you know the majority of our federal domestic budget is the result of our collective reaping? If people would simply follow the rules of sowing and reaping as God outlined in the Bible, life would be wonderful. If you want world peace, obey God. It's really simple. It's really simple. But people don't because we're broken. And we get caught, we get ensnared in the reaping. And that's where rule three comes in. And this is the greatest part, honestly. Rule three is God sees how our sinfulness gets us trapped in slavery to that sin. And it is then his compassion is aroused when we cry out for help. So rule three is love provides a way out. Love, God's love, provides for us a way out. It's the amazing part of the character of God. He longs to rescue because he alone is truly merciful. When we fall into the hands of another human being, rarely are humans compassionate. They're kind of like, you deserve that. You're just kidding. But when we fall in the hands of God, man, is he kind. He's so kind. But here's what's ironic. God will use Proportional pressure to break us. And the harder the heart, the more pressure he must use. And to one of the best tools he applies to finally get us to himself is letting people experience the harshness of another master. This is who Laban is. Laban is the cruel, unyielding master. Watch, Jacob's going to compare the two masters in Genesis 31, 4 through 9. Watch how he compares them. <clears throat> Genesis 31, verse 4. So he's getting ready to leave. He's sick of being there. He's tired of it. So in verse 4, he sent word to Rachel and Leah, his two wives, to come out to the fields where his flocks were. Why? Because he's got to talk to him alone out in the fields where he's not being spied on. Who's spying on him, Laban and Laban's sons? They're suffocating him. So he runs out to the fields to talk to his wives alone. And here's what he says. He said to them, I see that your father's attitude towards me is not what it was before. When Jacob tells Laban he wants to leave, Laban turns on him. He gets mad. And so Jacob's like, Your dad is not on my side anymore. But the God of my father has been with me. So Laban hates me, but God is with me. You know that I've worked for your father with all my strength. Your father's cheated me by changing my wages ten times. He's a cruel guy. However, God has not allowed him to harm me. If he said the speckled ones will be your wages, he's talking about his flocks. This is an interesting part. He says the speckled ones will be your wages and all the flocks gave birth to speckled young. If he said the streaked ones will be your wages and all the flocks bore streaked ones. So he made this deal with, Laban Laban made this deal with Jacob. And he said, all right, look, you can have all the flocks that, when they have babies that are speckled, they'll be yours. Or streaked, they'll be yours. But then he told his sons, before they mate, take all the speckled, adult, and take them out of Dodge. So all that will give birth are monochrome. That means either white or black. And Jacob does this really goofy thing where he he cuts a white streak in some branches and they mate in front of that and they have speckled. It's a long story. You can read it yourself. I was thinking of going through it. I had this whole slide set up where regressive genes and all. It's like, ah, you guys can read it on your own because it's really weird. It's bizarre. It is. And you guys will be like, I don't, I don't understand. I don't, I, I don't understand. And I've read it 17 times this week. So here's, so if we go back to verse 9, Jacob says, So God has taken away your father's livestock and has given them to me. And so he's making a comparison of the two masters. You have one master who's Laban. Laban if you read this whole story, he's a classic narcissist. Everything is about him. and People are used by him to help him succeed. He wants Jacob because Jacob makes him rich. He steals his daughter's dowry because he wants their money. As long as you do what Laban says, he's a great guy. I really like Jacob. Like They were in great shape. But then when he wants to leave... It says in 31, 1 and 2, his face changes. He gets mad. Jacob is prospering and Laban grows jealous. And if you see, narcissists are jealous people. Narcissists, as long as you agree with them, as long as you do what they say, they're really nice. But once you disagree, they turn on you. That's what Laban is. He's a narcissist. Are you a jealous person? who likes everything about you? Be careful. Do people feel suffocated when they're around you and in your company and they just want to run? Be careful. Jacob had 20 years of a guy who sucked the oxygen out of every room and he just wanted to run. He could, he, to talk to his wife, he has to go out in the field. You talk about suffocating. Narcissists are suffocating. You think God and his rules are harsh? When you fall under somebody like this, you will realize God is so kind. He's so good. There are churches that are narcissistic. If you don't do their rules, they're mad at you all the time. God saves you when you're a sinner and you're broken. He just wants you, but then you come to the church and the churches now want you to dress the way they want you to. do what. That's narcissistic. It's suffocating. And I'll tell you, that's why some of those churches are not growing anymore. In the same way, Jacob wants to run, people run from suffocating environments. But look at how he talks about the Lord. He says, The Lord is always with me, He's always there, He's always blessing, He's always rescuing Jacob. In this story, about the speckled sheep. Jacob even says, you know God, verse 10, in breeding season, I once had a dream in which I looked up and saw that the male goats mating with the flock were streaked, speckled, or spotted. The angel of God said to me in the dream, this is verse 11, Jacob, I answered, here I am. And he said, look up and see that all the male goats mating with the flock are streaked, speckled, or spotted. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God at Bethel. Where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. Go back home. Go back home. So Jacob decides to leave and he runs back home to the promised land where his family is and where his God is. Sounds easy. He's just going to go home but you you realize once sin and the consequences of sin get their claws into you it's hard to get out. And Laban doesn't let him leave that easy, so he pursues him and tries to kill him. Look at verse 22 and 33. So Laban's having the sheep shearing thing, took him a whole week. Jacob's leaving while Laban's shearing sheep, and then he finds out about it. So verse 22, on the third day, Laban was told that Jacob had fled. What? My money makers left me? All right, I'll get them. I'll get them taking his relatives with him. So Laban gets all of the guys, the posse, all of his brothers and kids, sons, and they get on their horses. Pursued Jacob for seven days. Man, is he mad. And he caught up with him in the hill country of Gilead. So he's he's not letting Jacob leave that easy. Once, once the land of Laban gets their claws into you, they don't let you leave so easy. Once you start sinning, once you start getting addictions and habits, those addictions and habits don't let you leave so easy. That's why you've got to be very careful before you go to the land of Laban. I know guys who started to drink just out of social reasons, and man, it caught them where they'll sell everything just to have some liquor. The land of Laban's hard to leave hard to leave. As a pastor, I'm just telling you, it's hard to leave. You should see some people that have porn addictions and it's destroyed their family. The land of Laban won't let you go. But then you have verse 24. Verse 24 is one of those hidden verses that are, is amazing. Verse 24. Then God came to Laban, the Armenian Aramean, in a dream at night and said to him, be careful. So, in other words, God's coming to Laban and saying, you're going to mess with me if you mess with Jacob. You talk about a rescuer. God comes to Jacob's rescue, which scares Laban and gives Jacob strength. And there's another strange part in there where Rachel, when she left, she stole her dad's little gods and he's looking for his gods and he's blaming Jacob for stealing the gods. And Rachel's kind of a, you know, some people were upset at me last week saying, you know, you kind of paid in Rachel as a bad woman last week. She wasn't the best. I'll just say that. She's the one that stole her dad's gods. And she sits on them while, that's a long story. I won't go into that. That's a weird story too. I'm not going to go into that. You can read that one. There's another one I read 17 times saying, I don't want to preach this. I really don't want to preach this. So I won't preach this. All right, anyhow. So so Laban falsely accuses Jacob, and Jacob's had it because he's done. He's done with the land of Laban. And he knows God's on his side, and he goes off. Look at verse 36 like this. <laughs> I'd love to see this. We just, when you read it, you don't catch it. But when you study, it's like, oh, Jacob's had enough, and he goes off. So here Laban's accusing him in verse 26. And Laban said to Jacob, what have you done? You've deceived me and you've carried my daughters like captives in the war. He's trying to manipulate them. Why did you run off secretly and deceive me? Why didn't you tell me so I could send you away with joy and singing? And He's lying. He's a liar. He's guilting Jacob. You didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren. My daughters, goodbye. You've done a foolish thing. I have the power to harm you, you know. But last night the God of your father said to me, be careful. Jacob answered Laban in verse 31. I was afraid because I thought you would take your daughters away from me by force. But if you find anyone who has your gods, he shall not live. In the presence of our relatives, see for yourselves whether there's anything in In yours here with me, well, there was. Rachel had it, but we won't go into that story. It's a weird story. Creepy daughter, Rachel. And then we go over to verse 36. Jacob was angry because they didn't find anything. Took Laban to task. What is my crime? He asked Laban, what sin have I committed that you hunt me down? Now that you've searched through all my goods, what have you found that belongs to your household? Put it here in front of your relatives and mine and let them judge. He's mad. And then so verse 38, he lets go the cork. I have been with you for 20 years now. Your sheep and your goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten rams from your flock. I did not bring you animals torn by wild beasts. I bore the loss myself, and you demanded payment from me from whatever was stolen by day or night. This is my situation. The heat consumed me in the daytime, the cold at night, and sleep fled from my eyes, it was like this for 20 years I was in your household. I worked for you 14 years for your two daughters. I mean, he goes off. He's had it. He's done. I'm done with you, Laban. I'm just done. It's really cool at 42, he swears by. And then he says, if the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been with me. What does that mean, fear of Isaac? Some scholars say Basically, the God of Abraham, Laban says, yeah, he's my God because Abraham's from the same town. Then he brings it down, no, the fear of Isaac, his God. This This is a specific God. Some ways in our community we can all say God, but when we bring it down to Jesus, people start realizing they don't like that name. They don't like the specifics of Jesus Christ of Nazareth is God. He's sort of doing that with Laban. You know, Isaac, the fear of Isaac's God. I would say this. Some of you need to have the courage and tell the controlling person in your life who's controlling you to stop. God is with you. Tell him to stop. That might be the hardest thing in the world for you to do. It is the same God that wants to rescue you when you're trapped in the consequences of your sin. But you have to be ready to stop running. Stop running. Jacob was ready. So here's what we've said sowing and reaping is the way God brings us back. Sowing is our choice. That's our choice. We wander. Don't blame God. Reaping are the natural results of our choices, but it's God's mercy that rescues us from those bad choices. But if you want to be rescued, you have to come to the point where Jacob did where you have enough. I'm just done. I'm done. If you're running today, have you had enough living in the land of Laban? When Jacob had enough, something very interesting happens. In Genesis 31, 44, and 52, Laban realizes he's not kidding around anymore. So verse 44, Laban says, all right, let's make a covenant, you and I, and let it serve as a witness between us. And in verse 52, he says, this heap is a witness. So they put up a rock and they said, see this, here's our witness, this pillar. It's a pillar, it's a witness. I will not go past the heap to your side to harm you and you cannot come to my side to harm me. All right, you're making your choice, Jacob. You are not welcome anymore. It's done. In other words, he's, he's drawing the line. He's saying, okay, buddy, if you want to return home, fine. But you're done here in the land of Laban. So they set up a rock as a boundary marker. And Jacob agrees to it. When you are done running, here's what I will say from personal experience. When you are done running, when you truly repent, not this fake repentance, I'm sorry God, but I go back to the land of Laban. I used to always go back to the land of Laban. And I used to, you know, I'd come to church on Sunday, repent, but then on next Saturday I'd be back in the land of Laban. What What is happening here is Jacob is so done, he sets up a boundary and he says, I am not going back. When you repent, you put a stone in your heart. It's like a marker. And there's this commitment that I am not going back there. I am not going to sin like I used to. My wandering is over. I'm not. That's real repentance. And so what it says That marker says one thing, I'm committing to leave this behind. I'm just done. Have you ever really repented like that? There's so many Christians that say they're sorry. I got caught again. I know I get drunk a lot, but I won't do it again. And next Saturday you do it again. You don't have a stone of commitment there. Not only is is that stone, but the stone is also saying something else. And this is the scary part. When I really repent, I now will have the courage to face what I've done wrong and make it right. He knows he's got to go back to Esau. He knows he's got to go back to his mom and dad who he's been away from for 20 years. When you're done running, you're ready to do whatever it takes to see justice done. Do you remember Zacchaeus? I'll pay back people. However I stole from I'll pay them back nine times because he knows he's done with the land of Laban. If you are done with your sin, you're willing to see justice done. It's real. You change. When you are done running, you are ready to do whatever it takes, and that's when maturity happens. That's when you grow up. That's when you're a different person. I'll tell you, it's never too late to come home. Are you tired of running? Come home. Remember the prodigal son? He got sick of the pigsty. He got sick of the pigsty. He said, you know, if I was back home with Dad, I would be eating so much better than the pods of these pigs. And he left, and he came home, and he found an incredible dad. So my last plea is just, are you tired of running? stop sinning and come home.